Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, you might think that the bee isn't the smartest creature in the world, given its t- its uh, relative size. However, that story is changing. There is evidence that bees demonstrate intelligence, perhaps even emotion. Professor Lars Chitka is the author of The Mind of a Bee. Good afternoon, Lars. Good afternoon, Lars. Good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you loud and clear, yes. Uh, now, th- uh, when we talk about intelligence in bees, do you mean, uh, is it a kind of collective intelligence or individual intelligence? I actually mean there is an individual intelligence. So over the last few decades, we've trained individual bees to count, to recognize um, images of human faces, even to use objects in a manner that's equivalent to tool use and to learn such techniques by copying other skilled individuals. And so these are all learning skills that are displayed by one individual bee that has learned it by its own, um, using its own tiny brain. Uh, and so for, uh, on the counting example, uh, describe for us the experiment where, where you taught bees how to count. So we erected a number of um, large tents. They were the shape of a pyramid and 3.5 meters high. And the bees had to fly along three such tents before finding a feeding station at which they could collect sugar water. And after they'd learned that, we then subsequently produced a contradiction between the learned distance and the number of landmarks. We just put more landmarks over the same distance or fewer. And when there were more landmarks, the bees tended to land at an earlier distance than they would during training. So after they'd counted off three they'd land. And if there were fewer landmarks, they'd overshoot the target and fly again to the correct number of landmarks rather than just to the training distance. So they responded correctly to number. Mm. And, and, and is it your experience that some bees might be smarter than other bees? Oh, yes. So for, for every such learning test that we do, there are some individuals that would rather die than perform and others that are extremely quick um, at um, at learning such tasks, including there are certain tasks which certain individuals sort of stand out as genius individuals that only they can solve and others fail altogether. Can bees teach each other? They can to some extent, so they have a symbolic language which allows them to tell hive mates where they've discovered food. And so this is a a so-called dance language where in the darkness of the hive, on the vertical comb, they perform a repeated runaround circuit, that's why it's called a dance, um, that can be followed by other bees. They need to be physically in touch with the dancing bee. And in that way, by following these ritualistic dance movements, other bees can decode these movements and um, deduce from that where, how far and in what direction to find the food source that the dancing bee had discovered. So there is an active investment into passing on information very much like in teaching. Do bees have any sense of individuality? It seems that bumblebees do. Bumblebees of a single colony 
um, very, very much in size. So there are some large workers and others that are very small. And so there is an experiment where these bees had to fly through a gap and they were um, the the gap could either be just wide enough for them to pass through, depending on their body size, or they'd have to choose a different one. And it seems that bees have an awareness of their own individual body dimensions, bumblebees, that is, and only fly through a gap if they knew they wouldn't um, bump with their wings into the edges. Mm. Um, there are even this is now not bees but wasps that recognize each other's faces individually. So in that case, you really have an insect scenario for individual face recognition. Right, okay, but, but you haven't found that in bees, though. They're not going, look, oh, there's Tom over there kind of thing, that they know each other. Bees are, there's too little variation in their facial features for them to recognize one another individually. We have not found that, no. Yeah. The, now, I mean, when it comes to... Um, uh, emotions, though. Uh, what evidence is there that they actually sh- have emotions? That's a very good question. So there are certain tests that have been developed for domestic animals, sheep and goats and so on, to find out whether they're ke- kept in a happy environment or whether the, the farming conditions or the keeping conditions are suboptimal. And they're essentially asking the animal, is your glass half full or half empty? So it's an ambiguous stimulus like the proverbial glass with 50% drink, and an optimistic human would say, oh, well, that's still almost full. It's, uh, it's a good thing. Um, whereas a pessimistic human would say, oh, it's already almost gone. And we use the same kind of paradigm by first training bees in this case, that certain colors are always associated with rewards and others are not. And then we present them with ambiguous stimuli that have never seen before, some color in between, and ask them how they respond to that. And it turns out that the response to these ambiguous stimuli depends on whether, for example, the bee has been exposed to a predation attack or a simulated predator attack by, let's say, a a spider, in which case they judge that ambiguous stimulus as as more pessimistic. And if they've had a surprise reward before the test, they judge the ambiguous stimulus as more likely being rewarding. So they respond to new things in their environment when they're in that optimistic state as being more likely of interest in a positive kind of manner. Mm. Is that a feeling more than, it sounds more like a threat assessment, that they go, oh, red, that's bad, I'm not going to go near that. But the psychological responses that we measure to that indicate at least a kind of feeling-like, an emotion-like state. Now, that doesn't mean that the bee can self-analyze and get up in the morning and say, ah, I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm a little bit down today. Um, but it, So there's no analysis of one's own emotional state, but it seems that there are emotional states in the bees. Mm. But is it, when humans are looking at animals, there's always a danger, is there not, of inference that we're anthropomorphizing them to some degree or another and saying that looks like fear or that looks like sorrow, uh, therefore it is. That risk is indeed um, in, indeed exists, but it's more likely um, when you're judging the feelings, for example, of mammals, which of course, like us, have expressions in their eyes or in their they can deli- de- um, display facial contortions if they're in pain and so on. 
With an insect, I guess they have a face like a mask because they have an outer skeleton. So there's little risk of you misjudging an animal's feelings through that. So what we do instead are psychological tests, measurements of hormones, of neurophysiological states. And if all of these come together in a package to indicate a certain state of the animal, then we can be relatively confident that we have an emotion-like state free of anthropomorphizing and and just coincidentally linking what we see in an animal to human emotion-like states. How um, big of a brain does the bee have? Because it seems counterintuitive. You know, if you were to- if we had been talking about a, a dolphin or or, or or a mammal of some sort, that would you know, the, the, there's something of a brain there. But I imagine a, a bee's brain is absolutely tiny. A bee's brain is about a cubic cubic millimeter. So you're right; it's the size of a grass seed. Um, but it's an extremely elegantly miniaturized structure. It has about a million brain cells, but you have to imagine that each of these cells has a structure that's as complicated as a fully grown oak tree. And each individual nerve cell, each one of these one million cells can have up to 10,000 contacts to other cells. So it's an extremely complex wiring diagram that even we insect researchers are still a long way from understanding comprehensively. We study insects because their brains are simpler than humans, so we're at least closer to the target of one day understanding them in any kind of close to comprehensive manner, but they're still a long way from being understood fully because the circuitry is so complex. So it's elegantly miniaturized, but not necessarily less complex for that. Nonetheless, though, I mean, your study and many other studies done on, on, on different sorts of creatures, we seem to be increasingly find that, the, that, that animals think not in a kind of a pre-programmed way. It's not instinct, as we normally uh, understand it. They're making choices about things. Indeed. So I think the, the um, historic view that we humans are the only creatures with minds and with consciousness needs to be revised. We're becoming increasingly aware that we're surrounded by other minds and sometimes very alien minds, if you think of the octopus, that all are display some form of intelligence, problem-solving skills, object manipulation, and so on, often also emotional states and often very, very different perceptual worlds compared to us. So bees, for example, can see ultraviolet light which we cannot, they can see polarized light, which means basically they can tell the direction in which light swings and so on. And this shapes a completely different perceptual world. So we are surrounded by, if you wish, aliens from inner space, creatures with very different perceptions and psychologies, and we're not the only sentient creatures on the planet. Does that have an effect then on on the work you do? Uh, in the sense, the more you increase, uh, the more you b- increase your own awareness of, of uh, um, bee consciousness, for want of a better phrase, that you have to be very gentle about when you're working with them. Yes, I think my perception, as well as that of others working with bees and other insects, have changed quite a bit over the decades uh, when. When I first started working with them 30 years ago, the general thinking was that they are reflex machines, that there are no ethical concerns 
with sacrificing um, large numbers of individuals and for for research purposes. And indeed, there are many labs to this day that um, um, have no concerns about how insects are treated in the laboratory. And there are no legal, there's no legal framework mm. in the same way as there is for laboratory rats and so on. And I think given what we have found in recent decades that needs a re-evaluation um, because at least to it's at this stage necessary to err on the side of caution and um, and re-evaluate whether there really is no form of suffering in animals that are that are treated often with very invasive methods in some research laboratories. Lars, thank you very much for speaking with us today. That was Professor Lars Chitka there, uh, Professor of Sensory and Behavioural Ecology at Queen Mary University in London and the author of The Mind of a Bee. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, why is the ancient order of Hibernians all men? Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.